Hi there. Welcome to the podcast. It is an honor and a pleasure to have you with me today. You know, there are many Christian religions out there in the world today. I would say the Catholic Church is kind of the predominant Christian religion uh, with the largest numbers, the most uh, notoriety, and they, they are very religious in the sense that they have repetitive practices and traditions that go back over a millennia, and they adhere to those traditions. Now, they have turned away from Scripture in a number of ways. So it's fair to say they're a Christian religion, but they are not following the narrow way that the Bible teaches. Um, on top of that, we have cultic groups like Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, and the Latter-day uh, Seventh-day Adventists who call themselves Christians, and yet by their own doctrines, they are not Christian in any way. So they may be counted as Christian religions, but they are not. They deny Jesus Christ as Lord. They alter his name, his work, and his person to make him out to be the brother of Lucifer or an archangel or things of that nature. They take away from the deity of Jesus Christ, and that makes them a cult. But nonetheless, they're numbered among Christian religions. Then you have uh, progressive denominations like the Anglicans, Lutherans, Mennonites, um, United Church, will um, metamorphose the doctrines of the Bible to fit society. Anything to maintain some form of relevance some form of meaning in this world. They don't find it in the word of God. They don't find it in the regenerating and life-giving power of the spirit of God. So they have to find it in their own doctrines. Now, the Pharisees went down this road. They, their doctrines became central, so much so that when the Son of God stood in their presence performing miracles, they hated him. They sought to kill him. Um, these denominations, these watered-down progressive denominations, are no different. So there are many different Christian religions out there, but among them, it's only the evangelicals who say that the Word of God is absolute truth, that we should be following what it does, and that we should be born again. And I agree with that 100%. That is what genuine Christian religion is. But I want to breathe a little fresh life into the evangelical church by telling it exactly what genuine Christianity is supposed to look like. And the brother of Jesus, James, who was called in the early church, James the Just, known for his piety and his uh, deformed knees from kneeling continuously in the temple, offering up prayers before God day and night, his knees were really nasty to look at, comparable to animals' hoops. Can you imagine knees so calloused from kneeling continuously on a stone floor that they, they were comparable to animals' hoops? And it is this man who tells us what pure and undefiled Christianity looks like. And we read that in James chapter 1, verse 27. He says, pure and undefiled religion before our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their time of distress and to keep yourself unstained from the world. 
That's it. That's what pure Christianity looks like. First of all, it's focused outward because that's what love is. Love isn't a feeling in your heart. Love is a, a focus on the people around you who need your help. And certainly among the most prominent of those is the orphan and the widow. So that is the sacred charge of the true church. It's our job. Those are our people. As William Booth famously said to his son Hudson, he, or not Hudson, um, that's Eric Ludy's son. Um, he pointed, I know his son's name. Um, it'll come to me as soon as I'm done the podcast. He pointed to the derelicts, the drunkards, and the homeless in East London and said, those are our people. And he was absolutely right. And, and that was the heart, the founding heart of the Salvation Army was the heart of God, to go out and find those who were in trouble and to give them help. And the second part of that is to keep yourself unstained. The world is dark. You are light. Your job is to not allow them to influence you. You influence them, you shine light on them, but they are not allowed to influence you. You have authority to speak to them because you carry life. They have no authority to speak to you because they do not have life in them. And Jesus makes it very clear when he says, what fellowship does light have with darkness? What can the light gain from being tied to darkness except the light will be polluted, the light will be corrupted. And we've seen that by a lot of these progressive denominations embracing darkness in a number of different ways, saying that homosexuality is acceptable, transgenderism is acceptable, and now abortion is acceptable. Many progressive denominations are even um, going to opening ceremonies of Planned Parenthood abortion centers where the children are murdered, these so-called uh, religious leaders are showing up to bless these facilities. So more and more, they make themselves, they show themselves, they expose themselves as ministers of Satan rather than ministers of God. But even among evangelicals today, this is a hard fact, but this uh, from the Barna poll shows that half of evangelicals think that abortion should be legal in the first month. I want you to really meditate on that statistic. That there is darkness. The, the evangelical church is stained by the world. And this ought not to be, James says it, pure religion in the eyes of God is to not be stained, not be influenced by them. But their influence is in the church. When half of the Bible-believing, born-again Christians say that abortion should be legal in the first month. Half of them. That, that's very dark staining. That's not a little bit of a scuff on the shoe. That is, that's profound. That, that's very, very dark. Our role, as James says, is to be the defenders. That's our role. We stand on the front line. We go to their rescue and we stand in the gap through prayer, through petition on their behalf. And when half the evangelicals don't even discern truth or righteousness anymore, what's going on? 
Now, there is an all-out calculated assault on children in this generation. And the Democratic Party is the home of this frontal assault. It began in the 50s with the introduction of secular humanism into public schools, making a public school an unsafe place for children where they would be indoctrinated with a false theology that there is no God, that life evolved, that we are all animals, and there is nothing more than this life. So we might as well eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. They moved on from there with free love in the 60s and uh, sexual immorality and and uh, homosexuality in the 80s. And now we're dealing with, in our generation, um, a sexual confusion where they don't even know the difference between a boy and a girl anymore. And you're seeing the rise of pedophilia. So now, not only are the children a target in the schools, they are a target of sexual predators in a culture that says they are, what's it called now? Um, uh, something attracted. Um, I'm sorry, I, I need to remember this, though. Something attracted... Uh, Minor Attracted Person, MAP, is the acronym they're using. And we're not supposed to judge them because this is the way they are. They're just a minor attracted person. And more and more, they're opening up the doors to pedophilia. And this is a wake-up call to the evangelical church. Hello, it says in James chapter 1, this is pure and undefiled religion in God's eyes, that we are the defenders. We're the voice. We're the ones who stand up and say, no, you don't touch the children. But more than that, the abortion industry is the largest predator of children around. The abortion industry in the U.S. alone has taken over 60 million lives. And worldwide, 1.7, I believe, billion people. Lives have been destroyed. The greatest holocaust the earth has ever witnessed through abortion. And our role as the church is to stand in the gap and to shine light to expose this. Now, I, I listened to an audio from Billy Crone. Um, you can find his podcasts, Billy Crone, spelled C-R-O-N-E, has a series on abortion. He has another series on the end times. Look them up. He does excellent research, really puts together a strong and decisive presentation. I love to listen to his audios that he puts out, and I recommend you do the same. It's Billy Crone, Get a Life Ministries, and check him out wherever you get your podcasts. But he does a series on abortion, and I was listening to it, and there was a woman who declared herself to be a Christian. And she opened an abortion clinic and was began at the beginning performing roughly five abortions per week, I believe it was, or five per day. And after a number of years, her clinic was up to performing, ah, gosh, what were the numbers? 
it, it had uh, gone up exponentially and she was making uh, roughly $12,000 a day, $12,000 a day performing abortions. Uh, no, it was a month, 12000 per month. But she wasn't content. She wanted to be a millionaire. And she knew that money was to be made in the abortion industry. And an abortion clinic pays for itself in the first month and is a cash cow afterwards. Each abortion, she went even with low numbers and said each abortion, even at $300, her doctors were set up in such a way that they would be working alternate rooms. A girl would be set up in one room. He'd go in, perform the abortion on her while her abortion was taking place. They would be setting up the girl across the hall on the other side for her abortion. And as soon as the doctor was done, 10, 15 minute abortion, or, you know, the true word is a murder of a child. Once that murder was completed, he would strip his gloves off, put a fresh pair of gloves on, cross the hall, and begin that. And he could crank out 10 to 12 abortions per hour. And he was making $100 per abortion. So he was making $1,200 an hour. The uh, clinic would be making the balance of that. And these doctors were contracted. The, the clinic was not responsible in any way for a botched procedure that would be on the doctor and uh it was all about money and she opened two clinics with the intention of opening three more in the next year and her vision was to be a millionaire after in one year's time after those clinics were opened so within two years she intended to be a millionaire and but it's known also that the abortion itself makes good money, a lot of money, but the selling of body parts makes tremendous money as well. There's no need to pay for disposal of that fetus when you can sell the parts. And there is a whole breakdown list that people who buy and sell, they basically trade in aborted fetuses and aborted babies while well, murdered children is what it basically is. Um, a, a set of limbs is worth so many hundred, uh, the brain, the internal organs, uh, being worth almost a thousand dollars each, uh, each corpse, each cadaver could be sold for a couple of thousand dollars to various companies where research is done on them, where vaccines are produced using the stem cells in various parts and tissue. Uh, cosmetic industry buys them. Um, different food industries have purchased these products. They say for testing, we have no idea what's going on there. But the baby's bodies are also worth tremendous amounts of money. So Ultimately, the abortion industry is not about a woman's rights at all. No more than Black Lives Matter is about black people. These are masks that very dark people are wearing, and money is ultimately behind all of it. Abortion clinics are there to make money. And this woman said that we needed a strong customer base. And we knew that the way to do that was to get to the children. So... Sex education was their number one goal, to get into the schools and begin sexual education. 
And she worked as an educator as well as the others. And she said they would get in there at kindergarten and talk about their private parts. Every In every home, the family has their own unique word for your private parts. And they go around the circle and the children would say what their family's name for your private parts was. And what it did was break down the barriers and show that these people talked about the things that were taboo in your family. In your family, you didn't talk about these things, but you could talk about them here at school. And then in, the goal was to get these kids sexually active by the, age, by the age of 12. And they intended to have these kids have at least three abortions between the ages of 12 and 18. That was their goal to increase their customer base and therefore their bottom line. And in grades four and five, they would expose the children to explicitly sexual material and talk about masturbation and different ways of masturbating and how it was healthy. There was nothing wrong with it. It wasn't bad and things of that nature and encourage masturbation. And by the age of 12, they were handing out, and this is where this particular lady came in. She would go in and deal with the sixth and seventh grade students and give them condoms, birth control pills, things of that nature, and discuss various sexual techniques and what partners should look for and all of this. And she said, knowingly, they, they, they were handing out free condoms. These condoms were garbage. They were defective. They were low-end, untrustworthy, unreliable condoms. And that was the whole point of it. And birth control that unless you took the pill at the same time, every single day without missing a day, they were ineffective. And these are 12, 13 year old girls. The chances of them forgetting one or taking it at the wrong time were, were very, very likely. So the end result was teen pregnancy increasing dramatically and their customer base increasing dramatically. And they were told, you see, once they were pregnant, who did they turn to their parents? No, they turned to the people who had turned, who had put them on this path in the first place. And they had in uh, their, their abortion facility, they had a number you could call, and these were market salesmen. These were salesmen who had pre-arranged questions that when the girls called in, they went through their list and it was all designed to point these girls in the, the path of an abortion. The, I believe the first question was, do, when was your last period? And then uh, they would not tell them to come in and take a test. They would say, okay, well, you're eight weeks pregnant then. They would just tell them outright, you're pregnant. Is this good news or bad news? This was their next question. And, you know, if you're a teenage girl calling these people, obviously it's bad news. It's clearly bad news. And they would always say it's bad news. And they would, their automatic response was, we can deal with this. We can help you take care of this problem. No one needs to know anything about it. And they would set that girl up for an abortion. So you see how children are being targeted, manipulated for money, for profit. And it's happening under our noses. And we are, as James said, we are the ones who are the defenders of the orphan and the widow. And I'm not going to play semantics and say, well, they're not orphans. They have parents. It's on their parents' heads. No, 
we are the defenders of the children. If a child's being targeted, I don't care if I'm not that child's parent. If I walk by and see someone hitting a child, I'm going to step in. We are called to defend these children. And it's very, very heartbreaking for me to learn that half of evangelicals think that abortion should be legal in the first trimester. It just goes to show, James said, pure and undefiled religion is this, that you are the defenders of the orphan and the widow, meaning we love, you know, love is turned outwards. Love is looking to how we can help and bless others, not ourselves. And secondly, to be unstained from the world. First of all, they are silent in defending the orphan and widow. And second of all, they're clearly stained by the world because they do not discern righteousness. So even in evangelical church, by this measurement, half of them are not practicing true Christianity. This is a warning sign to you that we are living in the end times, that deception and darkness is ruling the world. Very, very dark times. First of all, hold tight to Jesus Christ. Seek the Holy Spirit. And second of all, live the Christian life. Be the defender of the orphan and the widow that we are called to be. By being narcissistic and turning inward and striving to hold on to your own sanctity, you'll do harm to yourself. Turn outward and seek to help those around you and the Holy Spirit will look after you. It's not a narcissistic faith. It's turned outwards to be defenders of the orphans and widows. And I see many people out there who are doing that, who are praying in front of abortion clinics, who are doing the right things, and God bless each and every one of you. Thanks for joining me, and may God keep you strong.